You know, if you want to look at the world today and you look at the things that are happening, it's really so hard to believe, to know what's true. I see so much on social media that says, oh, this is happening and this is happening and this is true and that's true. And then on the next installment, it says, oh, no, that's a lie. This is true. This is true. This is true. The government says one thing and the, the, the international media says another. And you really don't know what to do. It seems like the truth of the world today is that the beck and call or is that the whim of social media and Instagram. So it depends on what you look at to what you believe is true. But you know what? If you're going to live in this world, if you're going to live and exist in this time of war, you're going to have to have a firm foundation in what is absolutely and ultimately true. Otherwise, how do you live your life? How do you make your decisions? I believe this. The church of Jesus Christ has to be fully convinced of one thing, one path to follow, one God, one Savior. And to do that, we need to go to the book of Romans, chapter 4. We are in the book of Romans, chapter 4. In this chapter, we see four clear examples of what faith and truth look like. Four clear examples of what faith and truth look like. So Romans, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The first thing that we see is this, and this is fundamentally important. Remember, those Romans who are now Christians were once Jews. They were once converts to Judaism. They heard the truth on the day of Pentecost when they were in Jerusalem to observe that Passover feast, that, that, that Pentecost feast 50 days later. So when we see this, we know this. They had a good foundation in, Islam, in, in Judaism. So when they came and understood this, they understand this. Abraham was fully convinced of God's faithfulness. Ask people in America today, are you convinced of God's faithfulness? And I would wager that over half the people who attend church in America do not believe that statement. They believe there is a God of some kind. They go to church to worship whatever God it is that is presented in that church. And when they do that, they are sort of hoping that God is mostly true, but they are also hedging their bets by living their life according to what they believe is right. Romans 4.1, what then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What did Abraham discover? What did he know? What was the secret that Abraham had? Remember, Abraham was still revered even to this day in the Islamic faith. He is still revered as that father of many nations. So when we look at Abraham, he was universally held up as an example of faith. Now for the Romans who had been Jews, Abraham was that definition of faithfulness to God. Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham was justified by his works, by his actions, he could boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, of course, this is when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac and Abraham believed that God would bring that sacrificed child back to the world of the living. He believed him so much, he took him up there on Mount Moriah. He built the fire. He got ready to sacrifice his son until God sent an angel to stop him. 
That was his faithfulness. He believed God so much, he was willing to pursue God right up to sacrificing his one and only son. Now today, that doesn't seem to make sense in our modern world, but you have to understand, their world was not polluted by all of the nonsense that we have going on today. All of the questions, all of the psychobabble that go into, oh, he was delusional, or oh, he did this, he did this. No, he simply had an encounter with God. God told him to do something, and he did it. That's why it was credited to him for righteousness. Verse 4 is very important. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. If our works could earn our salvation, it's because we earned it. Because we chose to do these things to earn that salvation. But this is not the Christian teaching. This is not what Paul was talking about to the Romans. Verse 5, but to the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. The Roman Christians had to understand it was not doing works that won them to God. It was not them winning their salvation by their own works. It was by believing the one who justifies. In our modern church, a lot of people are very active, very busy doing things because they want to earn their salvation. In the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, you can earn your way to Godhood. You can do all of these acts, take this mission, or go through these different steps, you know, the, the temple marriage and all that stuff, and you literally become a God. Raymond, you could be a God of your own planet. You would have a thousand spiritual wives eternally procreating babies who would call you the Heavenly Father. That's what you could do if you were a Mormon. The only problem is this, it ain't real. There is no heavenly father who is flesh and blood, who has a thousand wives, who procreates for his own planet. That's not real, but it's what men want to believe. They want to believe they can become God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through your faith in Jesus Christ, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were saved to do good works. We are not saved by our good works. If every church member, every true Christian could understand that, they would serve God with a joyful heart, not with a fearful heart. So many people in the Jehovah's Witnesses want to be part of that 144,000 that get to go to heaven. Everyone who doesn't go to heaven winds up stuck here on a, on a perfect world, a, a perfect paradise, but they don't get to be in heaven because they haven't worked hard enough to earn it. We had people in Montana who left the Jehovah's Witnesses to join the church to give their lives to Christ because they began to realize it was a salvation not of works, but of faith. That we are all equal in Christ because it is His work that has won salvation for us. Could we tell people that on a day-to-day -day basis? Could we tell people, you know what? Just because you go to church, just because you tithe 30%, and I know people that brag about that, they brag about how much money they give to church. I'm glad you do that, but that's not going to win you any applause from God. God is not going to give you a better position because you give more than another person. Of course, you give as God has given to you. 
the widow who goes up and throws in two little measly copper coins, you know, these two little bits. She throws them in there, and Jesus said, see that woman? She just threw in two copper pieces right behind that, that Sadducee who threw in a big pile of gold. She gave more than he did. She gave everything she had. That's what God wants for us to give everything, to put our trust completely in him. So Paul is telling these Roman Christians who came out of Judaism, yes, Abraham was justified by his faith. All these people out there who say, oh, in the Old Testament, uh, God was vengeful, God was mean, God was hard, and he made them kill these innocent animals, and he made them kill these people over here. No, men have always been justified by faith, always. That's why Rahab the prostitute said, swear to me by Yahweh, by the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that you will spare me and I will let you go. It's amazing to me. They don't get the simple thing that it's faith. And because we are saved out of gratitude, we do what we do. We don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are saved. So the first example we have right here is that Abraham was fully convinced. Fully convinced. Go on down to the next one. David was fully convinced. He was convinced that God was the God who would put him on the throne. Here it is, Romans 4, 6. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the people to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Wow. God credits righteousness apart from works. Quoting David. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's David. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Is it only for the Jewish person? Only for the person who does the works of the flesh? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. Remember, God declares Abraham righteous before circumcision begins. Abraham was a fully adult man. All of his um, sons, all of his people were fully circumcised men when God instituted circumcision. They had to go through adult male circumcision in order to show that they belonged to the God of Abraham. And that's important. The act of circumcision did not justify him. He was already justified before he did anything. Just like when you get baptized, you have to be saved before you're baptized. Baptism can't save you. Baptism doesn't give you salvation. Now, there are some churches up and down this road right here who will tell you, if you ain't baptized, you ain't saved. They're right next to the people that say, if you don't speak in tongues, you ain't saved. So they all got issues, don't they? Here's the thing. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is in the outward expression of what you've already done inside. Just like you have to commit to a woman to marry her, right? I know that's politically incorrect, but there it is. You have to commit your love to a woman. The public wedding, that is just a celebration of what you've already chosen to do in your heart. When you give your life to Christ, you want that baptism to be an outward expression of what you've already chosen to do in your life. Isn't that amazing? Going to church is an outward expression of what you've already chosen by uniting yourself with Jesus Christ. 
All of this is external. It's all external. Wedding rings are external. Ring or no ring, I'm still married because I choose to give my life to this woman. You know what I mean? Think about it. How much that we do is the external manifestation of an internal decision. And that's so important for us to realize. No internal decision means it ain't real. If you haven't given your life to Christ, committed it to him who, who is the rewarder of those who seek him, you ain't saved. Even if you get baptized, even if you join the church, even if you become a deacon, or even if you become a preacher, until you made that personal choice, it's not effective in our lives. That's why he says, was Abraham saved by circumcision? No, because he was uncircumcised when he was declared righteous. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteous that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who had faith, who were uncircumcised. This, oh, sorry, this made him the father of all who believed, but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who are also in the footsteps of faith of our father Abraham, and while he was yet uncircumcised. So Abraham becomes the father of all who are circumcised and all who are circumcised in the heart. Because the scripture tells us true circumcision is not in the body. It's not in the flesh. It's in the spirit. We are circumcised when we peel away the old man. We take away the old spirit, the old flesh, the old rebellion, and we go to that internal decision to follow Christ. And that's why David says, I, I, am, I am saying how blessed is everyone Jew or Gentile, who is now not held responsible for their, for their guilt because God has washed them clean of that. Think about that. All of that work done by obedience, not by physical works. You know, by obedience to the Spirit. Third thing I want you to see is this. Abraham was convinced fully of who God was and what God would do. He was so convinced he offered to sacrifice his own son. David was fully convinced enough to spread that salvation to all people, not just the Jews, not just those who were in the direct physical lineage of Abraham. Finally, this one, number, well, number three, this. We are fully convinced. He's saying now to the Romans, you must be fully convinced of this truth. Romans 4.13 for the promise of Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes through faith. The promise to give Abraham an unnumbered number of, of offspring who would, who would be like the sand of the sea that couldn't be counted. That's what was promised to Abraham. And we are that uncountable generation that follows in that faith. He goes on. For if you who are of the law are heirs, faith has made, is made empty and promises nullified. So if you are under the law and that's your justification, then all the promises of God are nothing. You can't be justified by faith because you're being justified by the law. But we all know the law doesn't justify anybody. The law can't. All the law can do is convict you of sin, show you that you fall short so that you resort to faith. That's what the law is about. The law says, see, this is what God expects. Can you do it? No. So what do you do? You have faith that God will reward those who seek him by being obedient to his call to follow him. 
It says this, If those who are heirs of the law are heirs, faith is empty and the promise nullified, because the law produces wrath. You're found guilty, so you're under wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. If Christ has removed the power of the law, because he has put faith in its place, then there is no punishment for the one who is separated from the law. The law exists to show us our guilt. But if we are removed from its power by faith, then it no longer has power over us. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith, for he is the father of us all. Ooh, so this goes not just to the Jews, it goes to the Gentiles, those who do not have the law, those who are called of Abraham's faith. He's telling these Romans, these Gentiles, these non-Jews who are following Christ, you are also Abraham's descendants. You are descended from him because you believe. See, I can see that the Jews in Rome have been telling all of these people who had converted to Christ, oh, you've given it up. You're no longer Abraham's heirs. You're, you're following this Jesus person. You're not of Abraham. You don't have the promise of the Old Testament anymore. Well, Paul is saying, yeah, you don't need the promise of the Old Testament because you found the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. The law only gets you so far. Jesus finishes the mission. And that's why he's telling these Romans again and again, it's faith, it's faith. Don't let the Jews psych you out. Don't let them tell you that you have to go back to Judaism, go back to the festivals, go back to the rituals. You don't have to go back to that because you're already saved in Jesus Christ. Paul will repeat these warnings book after book after book. He warns about the Judaizers who come, the Judaizers who say, return to religion, return to these ways that you have to do. Uh, this week was the celebration or the anniversary of the Heaven's Gate issue. Do you guys remember Heaven's Gate? The people who thought the UFOs were going to come for them and, and take them away and all they had to do was kill themselves? They were showing the tapes of this leader and he would look at the camera and he would say to them, you have to believe me. You have to trust me. I am the only way you're going to be saved. And then he had them all take their own lives. You see, who you put your faith in dictates what happens to you. The Jews were still trusting in Abraham's promise, even though the fulfillment of it was already with them. You see, they looked at Abraham and they looked at Moses and they had the law and that's what they wanted. They wanted a law of rules that they could follow to justify themselves. That's why the Pharisees were so arrogant. The Pharisees did all the 660 some rules. Only this many steps on the Sabbath. Keep your milk in one place and your meat in another. You know, don't boil the calf in, in, in the mother's milk and all of those many, many, many rules that they had. And they had a lot of rules. To be a Pharisee was to live every moment of your life by rules. Do you know churches like that? You can do this, but you can't do that. You can wear this, but you can't wear that. You can listen to this, but you can't listen to that. You can't read this. You can't see this. You can't talk about this. Do you know those churches? I know those churches. They have rules to cover everything. But if there's only rules, where's faith? Where's forgiveness? Where's mercy and grace if everything is about the rules? This guy that led them all to kill themselves. He was all about making him 
the judge of what was true, of justice, of, of, of everything. He was going to justify them if they put their faith in him. And all that happened is they wound up dead. And it's a terrible thing. Consider Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Wow. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Remember, in the book of Isaiah, the promise of the Messiah was that the Messiah would come to the Gentiles. He would come to Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where the Messiah was to come. So if God was going to come to the Gentiles in the book of Isaiah, what had changed that made the Jews believe that only Jerusalem, only the Jews could show light to the Gentiles? You see, they were not following their own books. They were not reading their own prophets. They were not getting the news. And Paul is trying to correct that. Not just for them, but for any Jews who might be paying attention as well. So we are fully convinced. We know where our salvation lays. And we don't want anybody else to distract us by taking us in another direction. That brings us to our final point. Our final example is this. Our conviction must not waver. Our conviction must not waver. I mean, it's very easy to look at the world today in despair. It's very easy to look at rising prices, rising gas prices, rising housing prices. Uh, rent in some places has tripled. You know, during the pandemic, they were trying to get people to rent houses in, in certain big cities. And they're saying, hey, we'll give you this deal, you know. We'll give you rent of 1900 for this prime real estate in Manhattan or wherever it was. Now that it's over, they're tripling the prices. And people who had invested in these places can no longer stay there. They can't afford to be there. So the world is falling apart, it seems. But for those of us who are of faith, we know that God is simply working out the plan he had told us about so many centuries ago. And that's what's important. So our conviction must not waver. Romans 4, 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. That's a weird statement, isn't it? That's an odd statement. What does that mean? I have made you the father of many nations, he says to Abraham. In the presence of God, in whom you believed. Abraham, you believed in Yahweh. You believed in God. Now he is going to do something with you. He is the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Now, what does that mean? Consider this. When the angels came and, and told Abraham he was going to have a kid, Sarah laughed. Why? Because he was 100 years old and she was 90. They were way, way past having kids. Abraham even said, I am a dead man, meaning his body was failing. He was 100. He could no longer have kids in a normal way. And he said, no, you're, you're not dead. You're, you're going to have this child because I'm going to give it to you. Many of us feel sometimes in life that life has gone by us. 
Many of us are at the point in life where we begin to question, what is left for me? What do I have left that I can do? Maybe you're like me and you're coming up on 60. You say, how much longer can I do this, Lord? How much longer can I preach? Maybe you're at a different place. Maybe you're at a time where you want to change your career. Maybe you're like, do I still do this job or do I need to find something else? Maybe you're like Nicole. You're right at the beginning. You're just starting to work. And you go, Lord, is this all there is? Is this daily grind all that's ever going to be for me? And those are the important things. Whether you're retired or not retired, whether you're older or younger, you still have to keep looking. God is never done with us. We're never dead until he gathers us home. Amen. Many older Christians quit trying to serve God. Why? Because they think their job is done. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody younger do it. Let somebody other do it because I'm tired. Abraham was not too tired to believe that God could do something amazing. Verse 18 said, He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. There it is. So will your descendants be. You don't know how many descendants will come from your faith. You don't know who you will influence. You don't know who you will guide. They were talking on the news. Why are so many kids running around the world with no hope? Answer, mom and dad have no hope. Why do mom and dad have no hope? Because grandma and grandpa didn't have any hope. You don't know who your faith will inform. You don't know who you will, who you will build up, who you will strengthen. You don't know what your example will be. Every believer is an example to everybody who sees them. If they see in us loss, despair, hopelessness, if they see in us that we've given up, that we are just waiting to die, then they have no inspiration to go on. But if they see in us hope, that fire of still being useful to God, still being on mission, still being on, path, on the point, then maybe they too can be inspired. It never ceases to amaze me that I encounter students every day at work who have given up. They're like 19 or they're 20 or they're 21 and they've given up. I can't do this. It's too hard. I'm not smart enough. Classes are too difficult. And I say, no, you keep going. Remember, a C equals a degree. And there's kids that don't know that. They don't know that finishing is the most important thing. Finishing strong. You know, Paul said, I have run the race. I have done everything I can do. I'm sitting in a prison cell. I'm probably going to be dead here real quick. But he's not done. Why? There are still prison guards to be spoken to. There are still visitors who come and seek his counsel. So he's not willing to lay down and die until the Lord takes him. Amen? There's a lot of pastors who have died in the pulpit. And I hope to be one of them someday. Yeah. Men of faith who literally in their 70s preached their last sermon, sat down and died right there in the sanctuary where they served. Because they would not quit. They would not give up. And if Christians before us have not given up, how dare we give up? 
How dare we quit? The world looks horrible. The world looks terrible. It doesn't want to hear about Jesus. It doesn't want to hear about faith. It doesn't want to hear about brotherly love. Right now, the world wants vengeance, and they want anger, and they are aggressive. We have Americans quitting quitting their jobs and going to Europe to fight in this war because they want to be part of something. If only they knew that by being a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of the most important thing in the world. If only they knew that, it would be so different. It says this, He did not waver in unbelief, and at God's promise, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Remember, your purpose is to give glory to God, and that's how you live, that's how you act, that's the things that you do. He became fully convinced. That's why I called this sermon Fully Convinced. Abraham became fully convinced. That means no shadow of doubt, no trepidation, no fear, just I absolutely believe, therefore I absolutely act. He became fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There's Paul's word. If Abraham, this revered man who's looked at all over the world, anywhere there's Jews, everyone knows about Abraham. If he was justified by faith because he was willing to sacrifice his own son, he was willing to give up the most precious thing in his life. He had faith that God would bring that dead son back to the living. He believed it so strongly he was willing to obey. That's why, Abraham, that's why God would not allow Abraham to finish killing his son. It wasn't necessary. He saw the faith he needed in order to take him and use him and bless him and turn him into something amazing. James 1, 6-8 says this, But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Abraham was fully convinced. He lifted that knife. He was ready to take his son's life because he was fully convinced God would give him back. It sounds crazy to us today, but in that day and age, it was the ultimate act of obedience. Jesus says, I mean, James says, when we're going to ask for something in prayer, specifically praying for wisdom, don't doubt that God will do it. I always say, don't pray for something unless you want God to do it. If you pray, he's going to do it, and then he's going to expect you to follow through. Amen? Finally, James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. We do that by confessing our sins, by telling God our shortcomings, by telling him that we have failed. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It says this twice in James. It's amazing. If you have been uncertain about following God, if you have been semi-committed, almost committed, sort of committed, if you are a double-minded person, do I do it this way, do it this way, here's God's way, here's my way, which one do I follow? He says, then, then, then purify your heart. Get rid of every other doubt and do exactly what God has shown us to do. Paul had a message to drive home to the Romans. That message was this. You 
must be fully convinced. Don't let Rome teach you to worship all these other foreign idols. Don't let the Jews that you came out of tell you that you have to go back to that old religion, go back to the rules, go back to the regulations. The Ten Commandments were good. They showed us we were guilty. Jesus Christ took our guilt and gave us a cure for it. And that cure was his blood on the cross. Amen. This week, you are an example to the world. You are a light in the darkness. Keep being a light in the darkness and don't quit till the whole game's over. Amen. Let's pray. 